Cradeline Network. Chicken. My name is God Reynolds. I'm my friend Fox. He's in the hen house, I guess. And this is the 274th episode of Space Spitter 2000, a podcast for two Americans trying to make sense the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This time we're covering 2000 AD for April and May 1993, episodes 832 to 835. Ugh. This time, Dread gets Scottish, Armored Gideon gets culty, Firekind gets even trippier, Whoa. and w- while all the lads are back from the dead in Kano, we're still headed to the moon of Titan for some purgatory. <laughs> I'm in hell. No, 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 the middle. Um, okay. Unit of Longest to find the, com- the comics we're covering today and Judge Dread, the Complete Case Files 19, the Complete Bad Company, the Firekind Collection, and the Judge Dread Magazine number 322. How you doing, buddy? Oh, fine. It's fine. Another <laughs> another wonderful month in the 90s. Really? Morale is low here on the good ship Space Spinner as we uh, continue to to slog away through this early 90s ridiculousness. You know, it's a bad sign when you've got to cover up most of your comic and future shocks. The thrills are tough. These stories are mm, highs and lows, but a lot of lows. Um, and it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling through. Fox is doing this as a favor to me and I appreciate it. Uh, well, you know, there, I mean, there are definitely things I have feelings about, but I wouldn't have known it unless I read the comics. Woohoo. Yeah. Listen, so whatever else we're dealing with, at least we're learning, right? <laughs> there we go. I know what I don't like learning every day. Absolutely. And hey, speaking of picking up on the lessons of the past, Fox. Oh, yeah. It's Thrill One, Judge Dredd. Script robot Garth Ennis and Mark Miller. Art robot Mick Austin and Ron Smith. Letting robot Tom Frame, Ellie DeVille, and John Aldrich. Man, I do like Austin's artwork in this a lot. But he also Mm -hmm. does like the tummies, the tummy badge kind of. Yeah, it draws a lot. Listen, there's a lot of folks coming in here drawing these low badges, which I don't appreciate, Fox. No way. So this story is called The Chieftain. And on a lonely farm 20 miles from the Taggart Radgash in the future Scotland that we call Calhab, a man comes home to find his house burning and destroyed. Oof. His partner, Jenny, lies dying in his arms and his children have both been killed. She says the man who does who did this was an American named Marini. Okay. It seems that this guy, Andy, has a past and that past has finally caught up with him. So he's going to catch up to the past in the future and do a blast from the that future's past past. That's right. There we go. Couldn't say it better myself. Fucking nailed it. The snow glows pink in the sunset, and it's clearly time for revenge. At the Jim Grubb M- Memorial Airport, who will recall, of course, is the mayor of Mega City One that got that fungus disease. Oh, oh ne- yeah. Never forget. Never forget toadstools on the on the on someone's tongue. Oh god. Uh, 
Um, we see Andrew Dunn arriving bag in hand. He breezes through customs and hails a cab, happy that the Foxer unit yeah. in his bag kept the judges from seeing his real luggage. He's got illegal luggage. Sneaky stuff. That's what boxes yeah. are about. Absolutely. Ooh, I see. Um, he's got killing left to do, he says. And that midnight at the city bottom, Dredd and a few tech judges with weird helmets look over the scene of a mass murder at a bar. Mm. Four of the six men were killed with some kind of sonic cannon, their insides liquefied, uh-huh. and the others were taken out by an edged weapon with some sort of ripper attachment. Nice. The only lead is that one... Yeah, it's bad. The only lead is that one of them is a Britsit expat, so Dredd's going to go check him out. Then we see Andy standing on the Mega City One skyline, as you do, shirtless with a flannel vest and a scarf, and he's got a dang chain sword! Oh, a chainsaw yeah, sword! <laughs> Definitely. The expat apparently gave him info about this Marini guy, and he reflects on killing, the, on killing him, and then jumps through the skylight, shouting, We are the people! Okay. And... That is also one a, a, a slogan for the uh, Glasgow Rangers uh, football team, Fox, just Got so it. you know. That's sort of a whatever, a Scottish thing. Um, anyway, he starts slashing through these dudes with his chain sword. It's pretty awesome. He demands to know where Mickey Marini is as some fleeing goons try to escape but are confronted by a robot bagpipe oh, with God. angry eyes. I just don't get it. It's a I bag- mean- I get it. Bagpipe bot. I get it, but I don't get it. I appreciate that Garth Ennis is uh, reaching out his um, judge, his uh, his uh, sci-fi racial stereotypes from Ireland to Scotland in this one. Very exciting. (laughs) So, Ellie DeVille takes over on lettering. We'll learn later in this episode in the Nerve Center that Tom Frame is taking a very rare vacation for the next two weeks. Holy shit. So, so some very rare non-Tom Frame lettering here in the in in the progs. Um, anyway, there's this robotic bagpipe, Fox. Bagpipes? I don't know. Yeah. But it unleashes a murderous sonic blast that instantly kills these Do dudes. You get it? Ooh. Because it's a bagpipe. Man, they don't like that bagpipe music. <laughs> Andy says it's a sonic disruptor and demands that his target tells him where Marini is. The goon gives the info. He's meeting with the CEO of Wartech downtown. Um, Andy says, hey, man, I'm the chieftain. I'm out for revenge. And then he chain swords that dude's head yeah, off. He switches Whoa. his sword from stun to kill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That's the worst setting for a sword if you're on the other end of it. Mm, get your head knocked off. <laughs> Seriously. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Judge Dredd is running one of the dead guys on the old supercomputer, but the files are highly restricted. Dredd opens them, and it seems that this uh, expat dude, the big victim of the first attack, was a member of a CalHab assassination ranger team that Andy was the leader of. Dredd puts out an APB and gets reports of the massacre at the Scorsese block, eh? Uh, yeah. And demands that Mickey Marini be found. At Wartech, we see Marini, who's looking extremely evil with like his <laughs> black trench coat and square black sunglasses, and like little goatee and stuff like that. And, like sweat yeah. back hair. It's like Jesus, man. I was I was trying really hard to think of exactly who he looks like. I guess from something else, he reminds me of like the bad guy in the movie The Crow. Oh maybe? yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> 
Like, just like... 90s, which, 90s goth villain. Yeah, exactly. Which, I mean, isn't even like what you call it, like chronological because that movie isn't out yet and i don't think the bad guys in the comic for the crow look like the ones in the movie but still like just that era you know what i yeah, no, just yeah again. No, exactly he's got the hoop earring too so you know he's yeah. 90s these like earrings and black trench coats and sun you know like we're just we're we're, we're evil and cool where the evil and cool venn diagrams are crossing over very hard yeah. you know that kind of and stuff and it's it's an uncanny valley <laughs> absolutely and marini's telling the ceo that he's successfully engineered a war between the whiskey clans in okay. uh, Calhab, which we're seeing documented over in the magazine in the Calhab Justice comic but they got a mutated rad whiskey that like makes you instantly turn old or something. There, there were also the ghosts. Fuck? I don't know. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, Big Mac One. Meanwhile, Andy is kicking his way into Wartech, just fighting through these various, um, you know, mid-level security goons and so forth. Dread gets the call and arrives on the scene as the CEO and scumbag get nervous. Well, I mean, you should. There's a man with a chain sword and a scarf. Absolutely. Uh, got that. It's so weird that he's got a scarf but no shirt. Yeah, you know? exactly. I don't know. It's like, well, my, my neck gets cold but not my, like, massive chest. Though it does also feel very, like, I don't know, Final Fantasy or, like, JRPG kind of thing. Like, you need a little thing trailing off you so we can show off our particle effects. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's a big video part of video game design, Fox. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. <laughs> Dread gets there fast and draws down on Andy, but gets attacked by the bagpipe and gets cut by Andy's sword. Oh, no. A wounded Dread tumbles into the boardroom and he can't help you now. Time to die. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. John Eldridge takes over. Aldridge takes over on lettering. And luckily, Dread has actually made a pretty stern stuff. So he rises and kicks the crap out of Andy, even using his own sword to kill the bagpipe bop. No! <laughs> Thank God. As this happens, though, Marini tells the Wartex CEO he'll have to kill both Andy and Dread, or it'll scotch the old uh, cowhab deal. That's a double wow. pun there. All right there, bud. You know, scotch. With the chieftain <laughs> at bay... Dread asks why Andy's doing all this, and Man. he explains the death of his family. It's like, why? Why? Why the monologue? Well, because he well he says he wants revenge, and Marini is like, "You damn right, I killed your family." <laughs> he flashes back to doing it. There's some extra sexual menace towards Andy's wife that's not very cool. Yeah. And Dread Dread asks why, and he's like, "Have Andy tell you why?" Now nah, we're talking all the time. During and apparently during his last mission, he uh, Andy and Marini clashed inside Canterbury Cathedral, but Marini must have escaped into the firefight. So I guess like while he was engineering war in Calhab, he just he was he was in the area, so he swung by to just destroy Andy's life, basically. <laughs> like, all right, bud. Sure. I mean, you sh- he shouldn't have. It's yeah. clear. Yeah, like. It's like- well, like, you know, just on your way to do some general menace. Like this, yeah, this could have been a smooth job, but you had to be all super villainy, buddy. Yeah, and that, exactly. this is what you get. Hubris. You know? mm, thy name is Marini. <laughs> 
Um, but before Dredd can get more info about all this, Marini opens fire and Dredd dodges, but Andy takes the hit. Dredd fires back, but Marini uses the CEO <laughs> as a human shield. Good. And then Dredd just switches to armor-piercing rounds and shoots through both. He doesn't give a shit, buddy. Nah, Come on. man, that guy's already dead. There are people who can be stopped by human shield tactics, but one of those people is not just trained. No. Um, Dre- Andy attacks Dredd again, telling him the lawman to stay out of his revenge, and Marie tries to run once more. Leaking blood, he runs to the roof of the building with Andy in hot pursuit. The killer thinks he's safe for some reason, but Andy comes up <laughs> behind him, grabs his head, oh. and squishes Marini's like face and skull in his hands. Oh, he does it uh, the right mountain in the style, eyes, man. Basically. Yeah, well, well, he does it by like putting his hands all the way around his head with like his thumbs and his eyes, you know, yeah, crushing, and then just kind of crushing. Yeah, again, like the uh, like the mountain in uh, in does to the Viper guy in yep. Games of Th- in, in Game of Th- how that how that dude kills the Mandalorian in uh, in in Game of Thrones, you know. <laughs> Cross and hitting these pop culture things. And that buddy. guy used to anyway. be a basketball player. Did you know that? The Mountain. Really? Yeah. Now he's like Man. really fully endorsed that bodybuilding lifestyle, and he throws axes and drinks beer all day. I guess maybe he was. You, you, you think you have to be thinner for basketball? He was. Just to like, he was. He put on a yeah, ton to of move, muscle to mass. Lose the court. Ah, yeah, I did that too. Well, no, I put on mass, but not less less muscle. But it's basically the same, Fox. I mean, I have always seen it that way. Yeah. Dredd arrives on the scene and tries to arrest Andy, but instead the chief just walks to the edge of the roof and with the final we are the people, throws himself off the side. Sweet. No paperwork. Absolutely. Just... I guess the CEO, hands you're going to have to do something about that, but otherwise it's... Oh, yeah. Well, maybe. Um, our final Dread story, uh, Mark Miller is writing Ron oh, Smith's on art, and Tom Frame is lettering this one again. This feels like something out of the 70s, Judge Dreads, and it looks that way, mm. too. It does feel like an older one, just because it is very, like... I don't know. Yeah, just about sort of weird stuff or um, about like uh, so, some weird new tech that rich people are into. You yeah, know? exactly. Um, a homeless mega citizen asks for creds but gets nothing when suddenly a bunch of bald dudes attack him and they're using a neuron extractor on him. Oh, no. Um, they're on the uh, the Brett Anderson Pedway, who is the lead vocalist for the band Suede and Dread is responding. <laughs> And it seems like basically there's this new crime called thought theft where people steal your favorite memories and sell them on the black market. See, well, you say 70s. To me, this is actually a little later in the 90s because this is the technology that the movie Strange Days is based on. (laughs) I don't know if you remember that one with with Ralph Fiennes. Moderate. Moderate. (laughs) You don't say. Very, very. Again, we were talking about that sort of like like '90s villain look, and I feel like it's also a very like it's a sci-fi movie, but again, it's got a very like mid '90s kind of feel to it. You know, like once once Tarantino's influence starts being felt on the sci-fi or something like that. I don't know. Interesting. Um, it's you know, again moderate, yeah, yeah. So the Baldies go to run, but get pulled over by Dread. They don't respond, so he shoots down their hover car with an incendiary around. And when one tries to run, he just blows his legs off at the knees. <laughs> yeah, Good lord, not great for that. Team. This one, this is a situation where um, 
Like, there are points where I've seen dr- judges who are out of control and over-violence, and over-violent do the same things that Dredd's doing here. And I think a little bit, a bit of, the, of that inconsistency comes down to Mark Miller being the, uh, the, the writer. And sort sure. of he's, you know, when you're new on Dredd, I think it's easy to make the, to sort of go overboard sometimes. Yeah, just have murder. Yeah. Uh, the knee, the rest burn to death, and then Dredd runs, uh, um, arrests the homeless dude as well for begging. You know, so fucking on point. That's on point. Classic Dredd stuff, yeah. Anyway, Magruder calls in Dredd, and it looks like he's headed out to Sector 7 for one of these standard, uh, we should send a squad of judges to clean this place out, but Dredd will do it on his own yeah, kind of situations. Why not? Meanwhile, at a Mega City golf course, some rich dudes are taking, are talking, I should say, about the best memories they ever got. And one of them is thinking big. He wants the memories of Judge Dredd himself. God. And he's serious as heck about it. Stupid. So stupid. Yeah, you're just setting yourself up for problems here, frankly. Yeah. Anyway, next time, bad memories. Emphasis on bad Oh, but I like this, um, you know, we're sort of, we had a big long run of sort of one-off dread, mm. so I am sort of enjoying these, um... Kind of like vignette stories, right? Yeah, like like connected and sort of like, you know, mid, like sort of moderate, like like multi-issue story dreads. I think the, those are fun as well. And like, I don't know, dread fighting some weird Scotch guy, fine. Scott guy, I should say, uh, fine. People stealing memories and someone going after Dread for it. Okay. Yeah, whatever. It's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, moderate. Yes. <laughs> Possibly less than moderate, Fox. Oh, yeah. I've got words. But but also with some one-off vignettes for some reason. Uh, right? Thrill to Armored Gideon. Right? Yeah, seriously. What the heck? Like, come Jesus on. Jesus Christ. Just stay on topic. <laughs> Script robot John Tomlinson, art robot Simon Jacob, letting robot Andy Parkhouse. All right, Armored Gideon. He's a big mechanical man. <laughs> He's Fighting a mechanical dudes. man. Mechanical man. Or I am a mechanical man. Like freaking Command and Conquer, my Ooh, friend. Yeah. Think about it. Um, so we see some riders of the apocalypse. They're walking the streets of England or riding the streets of England as Frank and Naomi. Um, climb through the window of a double-decker bus, and as they just sort of storm through the top row or the uh, the, the at the uh, what do you call it the aisle there, um, a man introduces himself despite being embarrassed, and this guy is Melvin Timms, who used to be a dread demonic overlord, Ugh. but then he got the sack. Yeah, and this is a character we saw in one issue in an Armored Gideon uh, interlude back in Prague Seven Twenty Two. Sure. When his washing up incarnated as a demon and Armored Gideon popped in to destroy it, basically. Um, anyway, he lives in Peckham, where the bus is headed. And it's, and it's nice, except for that jerk, local big wheel neighbor of his, Reg Threplington. Anyway, this Melvin guy has a satanic altar set up. And he's been doing all kinds of magic-powered stuff with in, stu- things that he's got inside his, his Tesco bad, bag. But the tea leaves are telling him his time is up. So he's a member of the ta- Tabernacle of the Red Dawn, who are the baddies. In the first Armored Gideon story, yep. and their leader, Keith, which I like, both this Peckham stuff and this Keith stuff both feel like inside jokes that sort of we aren't really privy to. I don't or get maybe, it, and it takes up a majority of the things that I have to read. 
maybe you you would be privy to them if you were like living in England or London at least in like the early 90s but you know listen we're about an hour nor- uh 2 hours north of there so it's hard to know uh, <laughs> oh and and 30 years <laughs> jesus <laughs> but yeah um anyway Keith, uh, or with, along with Keith, they're in the process of resurrecting Armor Jerubal, but it seems Melvin has been pulling his weight spirit-wise, so he's kicked out of the tabernacle. But that's not going to stop him. He's absconded with the fabled seven daggers of Gamito, and he's waiting for a spiritual attack. And it seems the attacker just might be that damn wretch from next door. Just... His quest for vengeance leads to him getting locked in Reg's airing cupboard, which then, when he gets lets out, leads to some consternation with the Threplington family. But that's all forgotten when Threplington's pet parrot turns into a demon that is in turn quickly destroyed by Armored Gideon, who's in the neighborhood. I. This is a comic about Armored Gideon, right? And I, yeah, I guess we're just checking in on this character for some reason. Great. Let's keep going. The local news have picked up the story of this demonic invasion as Gideon climbs a skyscraper to yeah, take out some primal flying rage. dragon riding no, demons. Yeah. Not primal rage. Nah. What's the what's the one where you can be the monkey, the wolf, or the lizard? Killer instinct? No, that's that's the fighting game. It's the one uh, where you destroy fucking... buildings. Like you just like Oh, rampage. Rampage. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. With the rock. Oh God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a cool sight, but sadly one that's also impossible to catch on film. And it seems that indeed this isn't really a news guy, but just sort of a crazy guy without pants talking into a bicycle pump. Yeah. Back at Frank's house, he and Naomi are developing pictures in his dark room. As he talked about being a psychic f- photographer and does some quick recaps of the previous story. Mm. Suddenly there's a knock on the door and it's Iona, the psychic girl from the first one. Right. And meanwhile, in the confusion, it looks like the weirdos at the Tabernacle of the Red Dawn are breaking into the British Museum of Pagan Antiquities via grappling hook. The, the ser- they search around and soon find it's some kind of crazy ceremonial bowl type situation. Okay. What is it with, see cli- with people in cauldrons, man? You gotta, you know, you, it's what you put your magic spell ingredients into and simmer them up, you know. You can't do magic via sous vide, Fox. Anyone who <laughs> tells you otherwise is lying. They're just trying to sell you new equipment you don't really need. Jesus. Now, you can't air fry a spell. I, I don't want to lie to you about that. It, 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 it makes it a little lighter, actually. You yeah, know, people are a little bit more delicious. They're slow to get on. Yeah, they're slow to get on the uptake, but highly recommended if you can you know, get the equipment. Oh, yeah. Got one in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah. We see a Daily Clarion article featuring Frank's photos, which does also quote him as being responsible for the current demon infestation, which I thought was kind of funny. Mm. In a tiny car, Frank, Alona, and Naomi are heading out somewhere. Alona explains that when Gideon beat Jerobal, she gathered up all the pieces, but those jerk red donners must have found the robot and stolen it. Luckily, she's magically tracking them. At a cathedral somewhere, the red donners are chanting in a mystic language, but these spells aren't working, and cult leader Keith tries to fix it, but even that isn't doing anything. Uh. As we can see... That they're trying to do these rituals to restore the body of Jerubal. Alona suddenly gets a reading. Jerubal's in Peckham. When suddenly a big demon erupts from a manhole cover and Gideon appears to annihilate it. It's uh, it's the most visually interesting thing that's been in the comic book so far. With just like, it's very uh, Giger-esque. 
like yeah boo it's like pillar. this weird mass of things that pops out of this manhole cover but immediately dispatched don't worry about it suddenly alone his tracker goes haywire and another portal opens and from it steps a cool looking gray haired mystic warrior type dude okay um, okay yeah i've had my notes um Keith is dropping all kinds of mystic verbiage to bring back Jeroball. Quite impressive, not actually working. Meanwhile, Frank is yelling at the mystic dude to get out of the road, and he responds by cutting the headlight off of his car. I think he's got one of those Volkswagen things, but like a smaller version of it, I guess. This gray-haired dude is extremely verbose, but Alona says he has something to do with Jeroball, so he piles into the car as well, and they are off. I mean, he has the most badass name, Alderfen Hawker. Definitely. Back at the tabernacle, someone's finally read the manual for the cauldron they stole. And using some more magic words, it starts to mystically reassemble Jeroball. Oh, no. The cardiers peck him once more as the spell reaches its climax and our crew enters the church and sees a fully reassembled arbor Jeroball. Hath anyone seen my slippers? Okay. Sure. Next time, Beyond Cellulite. So, I said this to you before, and I think it bears repeating. This is a photographer. This whole story is about a photographer. Mm-hmm. I have not seen more words and less imagery for yeah. something that is... And, oh my God, and this lady who keeps following him around, it's just like nagging constantly, and he's just making jokes. I get that this is mm-hmm. supposed to be a silly comic book, but... Th- We've only seen robots three, maybe four times. It's like once per yeah, issue, no. it'll show up. Yeah, Jeroboam just sort of peer, like pops pops in every once in a while to take out a demon. That's about it. He's like haunting this comic as opposed to really taking part in it. Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's a lot of time they seem to have for jokes and a lot less time for, I guess, like showing some cool demon fights. Yeah, and especially like the, just the having the side story about the the random mystic dude and stuff like that. Um, just don't show get it. up in here as well, which I believe will not have a uh, a larger impact on the story or anything like oh, that. Oh, good. So it's just wasting people's time. It's just letting you you know do some world building for the weirdos that live in this setting. I guess yeah, I don't know. Fine. Ugh. And. Speaking of the adventures of weirdos, Fox. Oh, <laughs> let me let me mansplain this race of people. <laughs> Let's go to Thrill Three Firekind. Man, it is. This one's a real trip. <laughs> Skiff robot John Smith, art robot Paul Marshall, letting robot Steve Potter. So last episode, this dude Larson, who's like an envoy. From, you know, the Federation, basically, to a uh, planet with psychedelic air and weirdo, (laughs) white-skinned, red-eyed alien guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Joined a party of Genyan villagers investigating reports of violence and finding a village that had been totally slaughtered, clearly by humans. Larson is disturbed by this and prepares to send a report to the government as he wonders why people would do such an atrocity instead of just, you know, taking the loot and running. And he's so caught up in these thoughts that he doesn't even see the fire until he gets right up to it. His habitation pod has been destroyed. His stuff burned and covered in native writing. 
And somehow they knew about these atrocities, even though he had just la- landed, which sort of implies that they've got some kind of telepathic thing going on. Yeah, and that it's his fault, 100%. You know, the locals look at him with hard faces. And, um, you know, again, I think it's kind of interesting that they're trying to cast him out, but he's like sort of like, whoa, you guys are te- have telepathy? That's cool. What are the details <laughs> of your te- telepathic abilities? And they're like, hey, like, you know... Pay attention to what's going on here. The actions of his people have worn out his welcome with this village. Humans have exploited them for years, killing and bringing disease. They just want to be left alone. And while Larson seem different, this stuff happens and they just have had it with humans of all kinds. Then he just gets on his little pedestal and starts saying, I have nothing to do with it. You guys are kicking me out and that's not fair. Yeah, Larson says he could have radioed his bosses about this attack and they could put a stop to future ones. But the native leader just says they will put they have put a stop to it. And they t- say something about the Hranoth of the Asha Karindi. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Alien talk. Um, anyway, Larson has been ta- has been de- has declared taboo from this lodge. Go from here and never return. Boom. Go from here and die. Yeah, Which I thought was kind of kind of a cool like series of a uh, taboo banishment speeches. Yeah, I exactly. Guess. I mean, you had to have rehearsed, right? Or it? I, suppose. I mean, it seems like they you know do this every once in a while. They all turn their backs on him, and Larson leaves. Um, but before he fully goes, his friend Loy Lee Ko says goodbye and hands him a small slip of paper. Larson goes to a nearby beach where um, they, he sort of hung out with Loy Lee Ko previously. And apparently that paper is a map to a cache of supplies, including a gun and ammo, food rations, and a med kit. But there's no filter mask, which means that pretty soon he'll have to breathe the hallucinogenic air of the planet. What do we do now? I guess trip balls. Basically. Low on options, Larson starts walking. Starts just walking on the beach. He marvels at its brightness and openness in comparison to the dark closeness of the forest. He sees some more of those big platforms, a glory stone, it's called apparently, flying overhead. For once, he's just a tourist, not cataloging things, and he figures he's got 12 to 14 hours left of his breath mask, and then he'll have to breathe the hallucinogenic air and eventually die. And listen, we all have to breathe the air and eventually die, buddy. That's just life. There's nothing he can do about it, so he just walks the beach, taking in the alien landscape until there's no more beach, and he must eventually enter the forest. And the forest just seems pretty terrible, Fox. Like, it's dark. Oh, it hot, sucks. Full of predators. Leeches. He's put, yeah, he's pushing through plants and is soon covered in leeches. This small beast that's just all claws and teeth appears and attacks him and Larson blasts it, but then has to keep moving before the scavengers come and like, you know, (laughs) bother then. Yeah. His legs are getting heavy and it's because he's breathing and because he's breathing hard and stuff. He's wearing out the gas mask too quickly. The Genyan air is starting to come in. And... I've never done any hallucinogenics, Fox, but he starts talking about sweaty palms and pressure on his eyes. And even I know that means that it's starting, you know? Yeah, I Um, pressure in the eyes, though, it feels. mm. Larson tries to fight it off and he holds two memories he has um, being given the mission, apparently following a foul up at a place called Lewiston. 
His body is swaying as insects start to crawl over him and lay eggs. Um, some, some real, some imagined, I should mention, yeah. as he sees the ghost of his mother calling out to him. The forest grows scary faces and he shoots wildly into the, into the woods. He's got a vision of Saint Sebastian of Christian antiquity, the, um, the guy that got hit by a bunch of arrows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He feels his fillings start to work out of his teeth, Ugh. which I didn't appreciate. Ugh. His body goes numb. He falls to the jungle floor, the world turning into a paint-by-numbers picture. That's pretty And rad. all the numbers are seven, and so the world goes black. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a really cool effect, especially because yeah. they talked about him teleporting to the planet as being like paint-by-numbers mm-hmm. earlier in the story. So that was sort of an interesting callback. So a bit of a note here, Fox. Yeah. There's a printing error in Firekind. Yeah, I was going to say, um, something happened here. Yeah. Basically, the episode of the comic that comes between Prog 833 and 834 was accidentally skipped. It, they just fucked it up, basically. I took a poll on Twitter to see if I should give you the story in order. <laughs> I used to read it like oh, the Progs. God, okay. And 65.2% of responders said we should just keep it like it's in the Progs. Okay. Yeah, so, I know it was weird well, as fuck. Yeah, the missing episode will appear in Prague 840, so like oh my two God. episodes from now, okay. basically, at like at the end of Firekind, essentially. <laughs> but so just but so imagine there's a big scene missing thing uh-huh. in between 833 and 834. Sure. But basically, um basically though, Larson woke up to find his brain partially rewired so that the hallucinogenics don't affect the hallucinogenic air doesn't uh, bother him that much, and he's been found and re- and taken care of in a village made up of outcasts and taboo people. Okay. And then he had another vill- vision of a Genyan village being massacred, so now they're going to go check it out, okay. basically. And that takes us into 834. So Larson and the outcasts are headed to investigate this village when one of the Genyans gets caught in a man trap. Oh, dang. Yeah, and then a bunch of human jerks um, come out of the forest without breath masks. It seems one of them, this dude with like sort of stringy hair and red eyes and a fur-lined coat, has a device that hides life signs, and then they open fire. God. Yep. Later in a burning Genyan village, a nobleman who's got kind of a a (laughs) prince valiant look, basically. Like that kind of black haircut and stuff. And the red-eyed guy calls him Your Grace. Is telling his blood-stained lackeys to try to be more persuasive. And then Larson is brought before him. And we learn that he is Archduke Rogerio Newman. Archduke <laughs> Rogerio Newman. And he's the, the, the ringleader of this here group. Uh, which is mostly just mercenaries and things like that. Yeah, I, I mean, sounds like you just have a paid army. Yeah, essentially. They're here for hexacrine, which is that spice stuff that I guess they harvest from the dragons. Hey, great. <laughs> yeah, the Archduke takes responsibility for the massacre, says he plans to do it again, and then he casually shoots a Genian in the head. Yeah, I mean, it seems, you know, why not? If you already just yeah. have the taste for blood, this person seems Seriously. crazy as fuck. Yeah, he needs more hexacrine than he's been getting, so... He's going to try to figure out how to breed the dragons in captivity, which makes the Genyans quite unhappy, and they won't tell him how to do it, <laughs> like where the baby dragons are. They're I guess. not going to teach him how to do it, you know? 
Mm. Get it? Because that's, cause, you know. That's right. Because they do a, Fuck these dragons. Do that's right. Yeah. They, like the internet. They do it like sex. Mm. So Newman has a bar- bargain for <laughs> Larson. Tell him the answer or he'll slaughter every goddamn Genyan on this planet. Just bargain. I'll kill them all. So Newman's just shooting these Genyans in the <laughs> face that are ready to knots here. It's yes? No? Okay. Boom. You know, but Larson refuses to give the info and is being, and apparently he can now connect the Genyans psychically and they're telling him not to either. And Newman's now killed 19 in, in this way and he's getting bored basically. Yeah. So he calls in Mr. Cheadle. Oh, yes. A mystic inquisitor type. Oh, Complete with God. this like purple and blue getup and cloven satyr hooves, buddy. Oh, I love, I fucking love this character. <laughs> totally. Not not around for long, but mm, God Makes damn, an impression though. Got a yeah. thing going on. He's a member of an outlawed race and one of the most exquisite torturers in the quadrant. Mm. You fucked, Spider-Man. <laughs> he pulls <laughs> out his tools, <laughs> straps Larson to a chair and goes to work. <laughs> Whatever he's doing definitely involves uh, nipple clamps, oh, yeah. eye priors of various types, and some nose needles. Oh, yeah. No, he's got eye, like eye, needles going into his eyes and to his face. It's just like, Jesus. Yeah. Like, he's... He's prepared, and you know he's like, Definitely. "I'm gonna get all up. I'm gonna get up all in that brain. I'm gonna, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna thank your thoughts for you." That's right. Get in that pink meat, <laughs> no, gray God. meat. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we we call them sweet breads in the United States. I call them whatever. In his mind, Larson starts to see the pro. He mentally intuits the process of creating a lantrasant, which I guess is what we're calling like the baby dragons. I guess. Yep. Um, and it involves taking a third gender, a third gender Genyan, and he uses uh, he/her like mm-hmm. combined pronouns, basically. So, like you know, the they put he/her into a cocoon yeah, or something like, like that. Yeah, it's like a fucking leather cocoon thing that they just like sew around them and then they start turning into purple goo or they put the purple yeah. goo inside and then they undo it and then it's like it's a Dargan. Yeah, that's basically just about how it works. Told you it was a sex and thing. And yeah, very extra weird for the record. Cheadle is getting knee- is ripping his way through Larson's consciousness to find this info. Um, when suddenly there's a pink explosion and Cheadle's ex- and blood explodes out of Cheadle's head holes. Larson has an image of the all spirit in his head and then the narration boxes start to slim down. First phrases and then just words separated by colons as he like protects this image and blasts the shit out of this dude. He sees Chettle spitting blood, his head exploding, and then everything goes dark once more. The dude just got wooden fished that's right yeah fish nose next time the war machine pretty fucking stellar gotta say lots and lots of reading that, but damn this this comic book has a presence and it's gonna let definitely. you know it yeah one i'll say that i think it's funny that the next one is called a uh, war machine and then this guy's name is mr cheadle that's kind of funny um like don cheadle in oh yeah the MCU oh movies. yeah yeah 
Sorry, had to explain. But still, um, but yeah, I like this part a lot. I real like. Listen, I'm a big fan of just like. I think John Smith is really at his strongest when he sort of narrates people blacking out. Almost, <laughs> yeah. No, like, I agree with that. Or someone who's right on the edge of consciousness. Like I would say that was a big part of both Cinnabar and Killing Time mm. as well in terms of his writing style yes. and stuff like that. Like, I think, and he's gone at it a couple different ways, but I really think that that's something that plays to his strengths and, um, yeah, is is really cool, I think. Yeah. I like the story. I like the characters in it. I like, you know, a lot of this lore building up around it. It's neat. Yeah. It's a neat world. Yeah, it was fun. And just a bunch of these, like, Warhammer 40K assholes just popping in <laughs> yeah, just, halfway through the story. I'm going to like, touch your brain now. Mm. <laughs> Yes, bring out my menagerie of space weirdos to take part in this situation. That's right. <laughs> I've got to view this one's Mr. Cheadle. You hadn't expected my gang of weirdos, had you? <laughs> it's all I can think to call them. I don't know. They are a gang of weirdos. It's like an adventuring Absolutely. party, for God's sake. God, I've got that on the Definitely. brain. Definitely. Or, a, uh, again, like I said, 40K, because it really reminds me of, like, the the retinue of, a uh, of like, an Inquisitor or a rogue trader mm. or something like that. If you're up on this 40K shit, like, it's very, like, you know, just here's a guy who's got some power and it's empowered him to travel with a band of weirdos, basically. <laughs> anyway... Let's stop. Why don't I stop saying the word weirdos so often, Fox? And instead, let's talk about non thrills, covers, and doof cities. Mm. <laughs> Prog 832, Fire Flight. Paul Marshall draws some scorched earth on this fire kind cover. In the nerve center, Tharg asks young readers to stop asking for information about the comic for school papers. Um, and. Uh, for the home addresses of artists and writers, oh, please. Oh, yeah, that's not... No, no one should do that. A similar thing, actually... A similar request just appeared in an issue of the magazine, actually. Oh, weird. So this is kind of a weird, like... Some, there must be, like... It must be, like, fucking exam time or something like that in England at this point, in the spring or something. And a lot of people want to write their reports on, like, 2000 AD. Or maybe not a lot. Maybe, like, 20. But enough that they're getting a couple of these requests yeah. and don't want to deal with individual responses anymore. <laughs> Um, also, 2080 was positively mentioned in a new book about adult comics. Okay. It's like for grownups, I guess. The input page is a blue and black Kiwi Lander, a new, a new Zealand judge. One letter asks a question I've always had, actually, which is like, that Thrax guy in Bad Company, right? Yeah. What's up with that guy? What Th is up with Thark that guy? Tharg refuses to answer. Another letter asks for an Orkney-based story, which is way up like in the islands north of Scotland, oh, cool. just FYI. They request more bad company. Asked why the ask why the cloned Judge Dredd doesn't have blue skin like Rogue, and that's just uh, what? different processes, you idiot. The prog <laughs> ends the big ad for Mad Magazine with the Bram Stoker's Dracula cover. Mm-hmm. Prog 833, Highland Fling. Mick Austin draws that Andy guy with his cool chain sword and bagpipe robot as Dredd looks on like a ghost. In the nerve center, Tharg announces that Tom Frame is taking his first vacation in 16 years. So expect different dread letterers. Jesus Christ. Gotta take more frequent vacations than that, buddy. Yeah, Come on. Jesus Christ. Work-life balance. 
Um, there's also a fill-in box providing a bit of backstory for uh, this purgatory story, yeah. which we'll be covering later this episode. Midprog, there's an ad for a book by John Wiley called Darkfire, an, an author we've seen advertised here a couple times. And again, I'm mostly mentioning because he wrote a previous book called Dream Weaver. Um, <laughs> Anytime we can pull that one back. Yes. It's a it's a running joke that I feel like has run its course mostly, so I gotta yeah, do what I can. I, I do. I, that <laughs> weird fucking, like, worm mouth snake thing. Do it. There's also an ad for some Terminator 2 action figures, which again is just funny to me because that's like a very R-rated movie, yep. but somehow kids knew enough about it. The input page is a picture of the Gronk okay. and a Judge Sonic that's like... Clearly I, giving I the middle finger, Fox. right? Oh, yes. One, this Sonic's giving you the middle finger, like we all know it, but I do like that it, this drawing has clearly been done like with colored pencils on a piece of folded up like notebook paper. Yeah. Because you can see the folds, like the creases in the paper through the art and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's got a lot of charm for me. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, like, I don't know if you... I, I must have mentioned this on the show, but just the, the joke of writing, uh, like, your first name, the hedgehog, oh, into Google oh, Image yeah. Search. Oh, yeah. And seeing what you get. And for me, my favorite ones are the ones that are just something that someone drew during study hall and decided yeah, to upload exactly. to the internet for a Sonic Wiki or something like that. That's, that's very fun. Um, letters demand more Gronk stories that Sam Slade be killed off and ask, hey, is, isn't Judge Dredd actually Kraken? Isn't he a replacement clone? And like, come on, buddy. Necropolis was like three years ago. Keep up. The book ends <laughs> with a Simon Harrison pinup of Bradley and his chums showing the Sprog <sighs> and a bunch of fairy tale creatures that we've been hanging out with and so uh -huh. forth. Yeah, come on. Have all the Bradley in the world. Nope. I, dude, I, <laughs> Eight I disagree. <laughs> 8.34, hard time. Carlos draws Judge Grice on a prison planet for judges. And we're told that this is a comic with attitude. Okay, great. Also, also bad attitude, no. but like not... In a traditional way. In the Nerve Center, Thar complains about the grind of weekly comics, making, okay, buddy, like, we gotta read it, so whatever. It seems 2000 AD has done very well in some awards for Comic World Magazine, with 2000 AD itself and the stories Button Man, Judgment Day, and Judgment on Gotham all taking top honors. Yeah, that feels right. Yeah. The input page has pictures of Jarge Barfer, that bear kangaroo guy from a couple episodes ago. Uh, Judge Jimmy Hill, who's this football dude with a big chin. And then letters bring up the theory that Dredd is descended from the character Al of Al's Baby over in the magazine, okay. um, which I've heard a couple times, or specifically that um, the baby and Al, that Al's son is specifically like actually Judge Fargo or something like that. But yeah. anyway, um, a kid apologizes for complaining about homework in a previous episode. Someone asks who John Probe is, and he's Mach 1, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Don't, There's requests for don't dig deeper than that, bud. Takes me back, you know. There's requests for more Button Man, Luke Kirby, and Rogue Trooper. Yes to all three, and a big thanks for the return of Kano. The prog ends with an ad for the Judge Dread Magazine issue 27, which we'll be talking about this Friday. Nice. So this is all working out. Working to it's all working together. These episodes. <laughs> prog 834 for Gun Law. Dread. 
blows off his muzzle in a bloody cover by Cliff Robinson. In the nerve center, Tharg announces a line of Dread comics to release in the U.S. by D.C., and I, but I believe that these will all be reprints, so I don't quite have to worry about how we're going to cover that shit <laughs> just yet. <laughs> Soon, though, Fox. Like... Ugh. My big worries right now, yeah, are uh, Judge Dredd Lawman of the Future, which comes out for the movies. And then there's these Dread novels that are coming out that oh. I've got to f- I got to figure out how we're going to like just where those fit in to talk about them. Because like if I'm going to read a novel, Fox, that's got to be a full episode of this show. Hey, I can't Jesus just like Christ. I'm not going to read it and then just tell you vaguely what happens in like a non thrill <laughs> section. All right. That's going to be a, that's an episode. All right? mm. Go to hell. <laughs> I'm hardworking. I'm, my time is worth something. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, Tom Frame is back on Judge Dredd. Good times. This nerve setter also has a droid profile for Firekind artist Paul Marshall. He likes Bond movies and David Bowie. Input page is a picture of Judge Wally, or Judge Waldo, as we call him in the U.S. Oh, a letter mentions... You did not oh, just oh, skip over the best part of the non-thrill section. Oh, t- tell me what it is. The adventure continues Star Trek The Next Generation Panini Star oh, Trek sticker photo sticker collection uh, of stickers. I mean, we've, we, we've mentioned this before, but yeah, I know we're getting towards the end of um, of Star Trek here. I'll mention again, yeah, so, but, uh, but uh, you know, Deep Space Nine is just starting up. Oh, man, I goddamn and, uh, love Voyager Star Trek. Soon after it, but yeah. If you <sighs> want some trading cards slash stickers of uh, TNG, then they got you covered. You're goddamn right, I do. Yeah, whatever. Bunch of Wesley ass kids reading this book. That's all oh. I know. Hate Wesley. No, you shouldn't like Wesley. Shoving that wunderkind shit down our throat the whole time. God damn. That's the thing. A letter mentions that 1984 didn't get renamed when they reached that year. So why would they do it for 2000 AD? They ask the Beetlejuicean word for word processor. They say Tharg looks like a manager of a supermarket in Weatherfield. Okay. And friend of the show, Stephen Watson, writes in to complain about Tharg editing letters that get sent in. Ooh. And I guess he'd know because I believe that he sent in more letters to 2000 AD than anybody else. Or at least he's had the most published. God damn. The Prague ends with a dread pinup, but uh, sorry, drawn by the clown's Robert Bliss. It's titled Body Count, and with a bunch of like mutants or goblins or something carrying dread on their shoulders, and one's ripped off his belt for some reason, and really gives you a solid look of dread's unadorned torso here that's got kind of a Jesus <laughs> on the cross kind of feel, yeah. but also kind of like a whoa, okay. Like somebody's also- been working out. Especially when you notice that there's this goblin with a spiked helmet coming right, right up bulge. from underneath Judge's yeah. crotch area. Yeah. Right in the tail. You know, we got some symbolism here for Dick stuff. Anyway. <laughs> uh, dick stuff. LOL. Hey, speaking of violent weirdos, Fox. Oh, yeah. This fucking thing. Let's go to Thrill for Kano. Script about Peter Milligan, art about Brett Ewins and Jim McCarthy, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. You knew it was going to happen. You hate to see it. It's Kano crying. Mm, very sad. Kano digs a grave and cries, once he was strong, once he was Kano. Now he is neither. The world is ending for him. We flash back to the jungle where Kano fights off the mutated members of the Frankenstein Corps. One reaches for his son with a knife for a hand. But... 
Another of the monsters, seemingly their leader, recognizes him. Kano, you're nearly one of us. Hey, look they at let, that, guys. We'll let you go. Who gives a shit? Yeah. They let Kano and his friends go, and they run to the end of the forest. And the young man with them, Billy, I think it is, um, well, I mean, who, who says Kano cares? should lead them in fighting. Yeah, exactly. Should lead them in fighting the Frankenstein Corps, but Kano just wants to be left alone. He only fights for his family now. Yeah, okay. But when he arrives at his farm, one of the men of the village, and I think this is this Todd guy with like the one metal plate in his skull. <laughs> okay. Walks up to him with a sad face. The monsters came. It was no use fighting them. Kano bursts into his I house do like and finds his wife dead. He punches the door in half. Can't be, pu- can't be stopped. Now he's burying her, and this is the end of everything and the beginning of the old thing. As Kano turns to the ghosts of his bad company comrades and says, "It's t- and basically says it's time to go back to those bad old days." Though I'm conflating a little bit with a Sin City and stuff like that, but mm. you know, whatever. Sin City out now, I should mention. Like oh, that okay. is we're start we'll start to feel its ripples, and I think we even are now, because like it was funny, um like I was thinking about um or I, I, I saw that and I thought back and actually that um that Kelly story is very sim- like has a very similar feel to that first Sin City story, actually, mm. like with Marv and stuff like that. I don't know. Like as opposed to a girl dying, it's a guy that can't that can't die, but still like a trench coat trench coated dude getting into scraps. Yeah, basically. there you go. I mean, one of those comics was really really successful. Yes, one is a, is successful and iconic, and one is like yikes. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Kano and six other members of Bad Company lie in wait for the Frankenstein Corps, including old buddies Mad Tommy and Flytrap. And Kano calls them all out for having silly names, which, hey, man, you wrote it, whatever. And reflects that they're all long dead ghosts, while he is a ghost as well, because his spirit died with his wife. They're not real, but they are real for now. Yeah, they're real enough, I guess. I mean, is he talking to things that are real? Is he not? I mean, is he mm. hallucinating because the planet makes the things? How it's just a well, my brain doesn't work. It seems like the planet does does make things that are real. It's just whether they're actually real or like a temporary thing is the question, I guess. Um. Anyway, yeah, they're all listen. They're all ghosts. And die with his wife. The shadows of the Frankenstein Corps move on the barren fields, and Kano and the ghosts go to fight them. The war has begun anew. Some of his neighbors join in, but Kano just sees them as the useless raws from the war. Mm. Ghost bullets can def can definitely kill, it seems, and bad company follows the Frankenstein Corps into the forest. A ghost, oh sorry, a voice calls after him, but he doesn't listen. And suddenly in the woods, that guy Malcolm is shot and the monsters have outmaneuvered them. Okay. Farmer Todd. Oh, sorry, good. Oh, I said, okay. <laughs> Yeah, be careful. Farmer Todd has lost his legs, and his son Jimmy tends to him. Kano is not sympathetic. Thrax says, get down, but it's too late. Kano gets hit in the back of the head and falls down in a pool of blood. He's dead. Okay, then. But he's not dead. Yeah, I guess he's back alive, and the bad co-boys are fighting, waiting for the severely injured Todd to shoot himself in the head so they can keep moving, because leaving him alive would be a fate worse than death, I guess, when the Frankenstein Corps catch up, catches up to him. Okay. 
Anyway, this is weird. Yep. And especially because 10 minutes ago, Kano died and he definitely <laughs> remembers dying. But now he's like back alive, I guess. I don't know. Sure. It's like a anyway, graze or a head wound or some shit like that. Something. Anyway, time to peer pressure Todd into killing himself <laughs> because he's just not doing it. <laughs> It's so fucking true. It's just like, ah, dude, you gotta fucking shoot yourself. Don't be a baby about it. Yeah, Kano seems to think that maybe he's also a ghost and a ghost in Todd's head or something. Okay. And in the end, Todd can't do it, so Kano just stays behind to mercy kill him and remembers then falling, remembers dying, sees his wife's face, and then he smiles and sees a light that's almost blinding. Okay. I don't know. Kano has killed Todd as the Frankenstein core <laughs> close in. He's lost the killer instinct gained a, and gained a feeling of warmth and well-being of love. He doesn't hate the core anymore. He feels pity for them and wants to comfort him. Okay. Kano runs through the jungle with the ghosts, dodging explosions, reaching a point where they can turn and fight, but the core doesn't come. Jimmy, Todd's boy, is impatient, and Kano tells Thrax about how he's feeling about the love stuff, and Thrax just chalks that up to Kano get hit in the head, and it's just a dream ride, baby, get it together. But Kano says he's changed, and he's not the man he once was, as Jimmy walks out to fight the core on his own. He once more tells the ghosts that they're all long dead, and Thrax responds by punching him in the face. Not that dead, am I, huh? Yeah, punching what's the my face deal, dead. huh? What's my deal? Why am I a corpse, man? No one will tell. <laughs> he takes command of bad company, um, and then a cry goes up from Jimmy. So Kato goes to check him out on his own, meets the leader of the Corps, and through gritted teeth, he says, I want to talk i'm so angry let's meet at a cafe i have something important to tell you i'm not gonna do this right now it's not you it's me (laughs) next time old soldiers oh man this was weird and i don't completely understand the fuck's going on that's fair for sure But hey, listen, you know, mostly it's just the response to the bad things that have happened in Kano's life. You know, when you do, yeah, when you do bad things, you got to pay the price. Oh, my God. (laughs) And thus. Yeah. Thrill five purgatory. Set yourself up for that slam dunk, huh? (laughs) Go to hell, buddy. I do what I want. You did the alley oop and then jumped in the air and then slammed it in. Oh, oh, would you say that I've committed some minor sins, Fox? I guess it'll end up being sentenced to Thrill 5 Purgatory. <laughs> is that a victory so, lap? That's right. We're getting, we're fighting now. This is, <laughs> this is an angry boy podcast. Oh, my now, God. Right? <laughs> Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Carlos Escara, lighting robot Glib. Happy to see Carlos Escara back in the back in the chair. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we've had him a lot in the Meg. Actually, he was doing that Elves Baby stuff, but great to have him back here in the Progs. Prison guards run down a corridor where one guard's clearly dead, his head pulled through cell bars. A prisoner in a cowboy hat and a cybernetic nose said that that guard screamed like a woman. Uh, I'm I'm the token hillbilly. 
Gotta have one. The guards pull pull the body out and cover the ocu- and while covering the occupant of the cell. That no good judge Grice, the man who tried to kill Dredd ahead of that big democracy vote way back when. Take a good look at his face, boys, because that's what I'm gonna do to you soon as I get out of here. He's managed to maintain his like a uh, short back and sides. Yeah, um, on prison though, that's solid, I guess. Yeah, you just gotta get like a rat to eat it off or whatever. <laughs> mm. So we cut briefly to the diary of former Judge Charles Windsor. Um, he was as he's brought to the penal colony on Titan. We've seen folks, you know, come back from here. Most notably, Dred's brother Rico, of course. Titan, moon of Saturn, where judges that break the law do 20 years of hard labor and on intake have to get face-altering surgery that adds implants to let them survive on this harsh planet. Yep. Implants they receive without an anesthetic, apparently. God. <laughs> it really, I mean, and we're going deep on this one. Yeah. It's the place where judges are purged of their sins. Purgatory, buddy. Whatever. Then you can go back and, I guess, do more crimes. That's so far it what I'm seeing. like it. You know, it seems very, it doesn't seem very rehabilitative, I must I must admit. Um, presumably paradise is a different kind of prison. It seems oh. Windsor was also part of that same conspiracy along with Judge DeGaulle, who um, will recall, like, famously, she's like this blonde lady judge and first read ran her in as possibly being this uh, vigilante. And then later she was on SJS and got revenge on Dread by like taking part in one of those emergency searches, possibly, you know, doing some white glove testing, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. But then she um, got got like shot in the spine or something on the street and so lost the ability to walk and her like bitterness led to her taking part in Grice's conspiracy. I suppose. Yep. I forget what what Windsor did. I got to admit, I didn't do a lot of back research. <laughs> he hasn't. He didn't jump out at me in the past as much as other people have. I guess. Oh sure. Um. Yeah, but she's in cyber boots, and Grice is, of course, in, consp- in solitary after killing that judge. And while they call it purgatory, it sure looks like hell to De Gaulle or to Gre- to fuck to Windsor. I should say. Ugh, good lord, to- so many names. <laughs> Um, Windsor wakes up in a cell near DeGaulle and some sort of hippie dude named Kaufman. He asks why they're there and laughs at the reason because this whole place is full of people who tried to kill Judge Dredd. Yeah, it was, it's not smart. Doesn't end well, certainly. I mean, you get a new nose, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, Grice is being electrocuted in a torture chair by the extremely overdre- overdressed prison governor, Kurtz. Oh, my God. Like, like a, the, the character in Heart of Darkness, I'd assume, looking very Warhammer 40K commissar with oh, a yeah. high-peaked hat and golden epaulets I and mean, stuff like that. I mean, he's living his truth right now. I just want to really get it on with these people, like... With tools and implements and removing parts of them. He's a real gross dude. Absolutely. It seems that Grice has withstood a year of this torture, but is still holding strong and dreaming of the day he can take the true law back to Mega City One Uh and gut Judge Dredd like a fish. I don't think that's going to happen, guys. Mm. The governor is teaching a class on waterboarding to um, judge guards. 
it's not like they don't use a towel for it, I guess. No, they but just like, jet blast water into your face. Yeah. And I don't think I don't even know if that term like that term has definitely not come into vogue at this point. Yeah. But that's what he's doing. It is. Um, when he's called away for the experimentation ward, which is apparently just full of horrors, people without arms and legs in tubes with ver- and various sci-fi appliances coming out of them. It's real gross. Because it seems one of... Yeah, one of these test subjects has been granted an appeal, but he can't set, be sent back to Earth like this. He's a vegetable. So uh, Kurtz tells them to snag that cripple on level eight and use her for parts. That's a good Jesus. She's working hard labor, which is tough because she can't walk. Windsor feels bad for her, but Kaufman doesn't care as we see him feeding his pet rat from a bloody wound on his hand. It's got a taste for human blood. It's really not sanitary. Like, you're going to get no. some diseases. Absolutely. A bad, a, a, a bad guy named Strucker offers to kill Windsor for more blood for the rat, but no, nah, it's cool. I've got enough for my rat here. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks anyway, bud. Yeah. In solitary, Grice does push-ups as a guard taunts him. He'll be getting a lumbotomy soon, it seems, but Christ, but Grice disagrees. Back in the mine, Strucker corners Windsor and slashes him with a pair of uh, homemade spike brass knuckles oh, and tells him he's not that tough. Meanwhile, a pair of guards are grabbing De Gaulle, injecting her in the neck with something. And Kaufman's seen enough. It's like he smashes a guard with a fucking... Uh, um what are those? A drill thing. Yeah, yeah drill. he kills one with drilling equipment. Another guard draws his gun. Restrain that hippie scum. Oh, God. Yeah, so what do you think about this one? This is sort of a new a new setting here in the Dreadverse. I love it. Some I love it, man. Returning characters get some, and stuff. Get some yeah. insight into Titan. That, uh, God, I can't believe there's no oversight. <laughs> I mean, like I said with Harry 20, I'm a sucker for, for prison stories. Oh, yeah, Fox. man. Prison break. I don't want to go to prison, but I like I, I like stories about prison. I guess, yeah. just because it's a it's it's a pressure cooker, and we're seeing that here. Oh yeah, um, no, this is Harry on the high like, rock for sure. Yeah, definitely. Although somehow an even more cartoonishly evil warden. You know, <laughs> I, what was his name, Mister Worldwise? Evil warden Worldwise. Yeah, yes, God, evil warden Worldwise. Well, I mean, they didn't actually call I him mean, that listen. in the thing, but. But we called him that. I don't like to talk about him without putting that evil in front no, of it. No, man, because he was bad. It's, it sets the scene. He had an eye patch, for God's sake. <laughs> and one of those, like, one of those, like, one, like, slashes of, like, white through his hair. You know oh, what I'm talking yeah. about? I mean, he was, he had the air for the theatrical, you know. <laughs> good stuff. Check out that collection, it's man. so good. Harry on the High Rock is so good. I mean, later Absolutely. it's not, but, you know. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine when it's doing its thing, you know. But I guess, um, hey, I, oh, Jesus God, Christ. I mean, listen, don't, you don't Weird have to. Weird alien planets. You don't have to try. This one doesn't deserve a slam dunk. Or, yeah, or let's talk about Thrill Six Future Jocks. Oh, God. Hey, remember Religion Bad? Woo. Uh, this first one's uh, two future shocks this time. This first one's called A Cross for Aaron. Script robot Mike Hadley. Art robot Mike Hadley. Lettering robot Richard Bird. Good lord. Yeah. Okay, fucks. I guess literally good lord. There's a farm <laughs> planet that's run by robots. They're part of a galactic empire, but the ships that collect the harvest stopped coming long ago. Suddenly a ship shaped like a pope lands on the planet. And again, another extremely Warhammer 40k guy comes out. 
uh, a priest, J.C. Aaron, comes out, t- talks about religion, explains that the empire that the robots work for died out a thousand years ago, but he's got a new religion and meaning in life for them from the Church of the Commercially Sounds, which seems to be like Christianity crossed with a pyramid scheme. Uh, but I repeat myself, eh? Uh, eh? Uh, eh? Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, the leader of the robots meets with far- with Father Aaron and gets a rundown on the religion. Again, very Christian, but with economic stuff tied in. Uh-oh. The robot boss seems to be so convinced. So they're libertarian then. Yeah, but he's like, oh, but, you know, this Jesus guy or the version of the, you know, in their story, what they call Jesus, died for human sins. And we robots need our own Messiah. So they go and crucify Father Aaron as you do. Yep, okay. And I'll just mention that this story is basically uh, uh, completely adapted from the story The Streets of Ashkelon by Harry Harrison, which is a very similar, you know, this whole setup, sort of a missionary who preaches to aliens and the aliens are into are into Christianity, but they want, need their own Messiah. So they uh, crucify the missionary. I just don't know if that's how it works, but sure. I mean, it's not not how it works, I guess. <laughs> Fair. Finally, the portrait. Script robot Francis Lynn, art robot Dave Danticke, lettering robot Ellie DeVille. Danticke drawing a very Brigand Doom Paris here, yeah. just with all these black inks and stuff like that. At the Marie Antoinette Art Academy, we learn about an artist, Cedric who has some kind of giant computer that he uses to compose portraits of people. And it seems like he puts in a lot of, like, I don't know, he has got, got a bunch of drop-down <laughs> yeah, menus no, for people's faces. Length, nose broken. I like chin. Big. Yeah. What a fucking descriptor. And so the machine, like, outputs a portrait that, like, ha- makes you as ugly as possible, but then, like... Your actual face conforms to the setup of the machine, okay. I guess. I couldn't tell if it was actually doing this, Fox, because he has the people look in the mirror for it, for it. And I wasn't clear on, like, if you only see that in the mirror or what. But anyway, eventually a rich guy forces him to paint his portrait. And Cedric enters his inf- inf- information into the computer all ugly. And thus, while the portrait is really, is really beautiful or handsome or whatever, the rich guy looks in the mirror and he... He's all gross and stuff. Oh, geez. So I guess, I guess the machine, if you set it to be ugly, it like sucks out your ugliness and replaces it with beauty. But if you set the machine to be ugly, then it'll pop out. It'll suck out all of your prettiness and put that on the painting and just leave you looking all gross. I don't know. It's dumb. It ke- this keeps happening though. He raises prices, and that like he just wants to make like serving girls pretty or something like that. But then rich people want in on it, and he keeps raising his prices to they don't do it. But that makes him more exclusive, so they want his paintings even more. And he just makes more and more rich people ugly, uglier and uglier, until finally he goes into hiding. Class dismissed. And I guess this teacher might be Cedric or uses his techniques because he looks in a mirror and is like, ah, yes, the beauty of whatevers. I don't know. Whatever. Dumb. Go to hell. All right. <laughs> no, I was, I was saying that the future shock, Fox, for the record. Yeah, of course. 
But with that, we are done for these thrills. Oh, All right. Boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. 432 to 435. We're pushing through the, this, like, 800s doldrums, Fox. Mm-mm. Woo. This, I, earlier in the week, I said, previous, I, I, I said, like, there's been times where I've talked about Space Spitter being a ship sort of on the verge of a storm or whatever. Yeah. And we're in that storm now. This is it. <laughs> like, you know, like, you're, you're, like, you're, you're Marky Mark and I'm George Clooney and we're in the perfect storm or whatever. And it's like a big wave. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I got to know. I oh, need man. to know. I mean. You must tell me I, oh, I what your top bottom thrills are. Uh, my top definitely goes to Firekind. Lots of imagination. Very colorful. Lots of hallucinations. Love it. Other than that weird hiccup uh, that occurred in the printing process, I suppose. Um, yeah. JD was fine. I'm really looking forward to Purgatory. Um, that's already got its hooks in me. Um, but nice. listen, man, I have very little else nice to say. Uh, Kano is fucking confusing and weird, and I don't get it uh, for a lot of reasons that I don't like future shocks. All of that can go to, go to <laughs> H-E double hockey sticks. But my bottom most thing is reserved for Armored Gideon. Please don't shoot me. Uh, it's not good right now. <laughs> it's just way... <laughs> Way too much living in itself and not enough of like what I was promised on the packaging, which said awesome mm-hmm. robot slays hell demons. There's yeah. none of that going on. Mm-mm. So uh, I, that's it. And Conrad, I want to know what your top and bottom thrills are, because I want to know if you agree with me or not. Oh, man. Um, You know, I'll, 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 I'll happily say Firekind is my top. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I thought this was a fun a fun interesting story it's got like uh, again this this the the larson's freak out in the in the jungle was really good i thought um and then also i liked um the sequence both where larson was being tortured oh yeah and then when he started like fire starting or oh when, yeah you know, like just blew like, out that man's brain dome yeah, all that stuff. That stuff was pretty great. Um, I, I thought that was all real good. Um, so yeah, this is yeah, this is an interesting story. I would say that, and and, and you've mentioned me this to me as well that we're in a very dense period of yeah. 2000 AD, and I think that's very much just the choice they've made by having this current relaunch or current version of the prog we're in with Peter Milligan, John Smith. And um, John Tomlinson, like these three guys, are probably the wordiest of our current like stable of writers in 2000 AD. You know, um, let's put it on the page. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I get it. You want your writing to be in there, but stage direction goes a very, very long way. Yeah, absolutely. From my bottom, I'll, I'll join with Armored Gideon. I think there's just so many asides and mm. just things that, like, again, this feels like a story where. I think I like kind of like uh, like like Brigand Doom maybe where I feel like I like it for one reason, but it's not the reason that the creators of the story like it, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And so it leads to some difficulty when they go into the stuff that they like. And so we're dwelling on that as opposed to stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I I'll also, I guess I might put Kano a little bit towards, like, a little bit further down, I guess, mm. just because... What the fuck's going like, on? Ju- there's just a lot, and... And why? Like, My question is why? I w- yeah, and I would say that you can kind of see the difference between Firekind and Kano 
just of a story that is sort of going for trippiness and trying to make you question reality um and which like which one like how that can work versus how it doesn't work yeah, i guess exactly like i think i think the the hallucinate like the uh, the psychedelic parts of fire kind work way better than the um psychedelic parts of 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 kano and i think that that difference is instructive I absolutely think. absolutely um, yeah, so I don't know. There you go. Plugging our way through. I swear we'll all survive this, buddy. Um, and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. On 2080 forums or our Facebook or Twitter pages on Twitter at spacespinner2k. For everything else, go up to spacespinner2000 and we should be there. And why not drop us a rating or review wherever you're listening? It helps us a lot. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends, the 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradline, our podcast network, and there you can support the show and receive some excellent rewards. Come back next time as we reach the conclusion of Kano, continue on with Purgatory, Armored Gideon, and Firekind, and then we'll experience the first of Tharg's terror tales oh. and rock out because the Muzak killer is back. Oh, yeah. I like that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Terror tales, a new kind of spooky future shock coming to a prog near you. Oh, okay. Spooky. I'm already terrified. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad East Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Long day, day three.